Our Struggle, Part 2 Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20 This is an addendum to a sermon that was preached at the branch called Our Struggle, Part 1. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Lord reveals to us that our struggle is not against human enemies, but formidable spiritual ones who rage against us and roam amongst us. We saw in part one of our struggle that the only way to withstand such powerful enemies is through Christ's strength and his mighty power. And the way in which we appropriate his power is by putting on God's full armour. We saw that God most certainly is our strength and indeed our only strength, but God uses means to strengthen us. And the means we're told of in Ephesians chapter 6 is his armour. I'm going to spend the next few minutes explaining and expounding each piece of armour. In verse 14, we are told to stand firm with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. To put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness is to uphold truth and pursue holiness. The person who upholds truth never tolerates error, and the person who pursues holiness never tolerates evil. They never tolerate error or evil within their own lives or within the life of a church. Considering that Satan is constantly tempting us to embrace error and to indulge in evil, these particular pieces of armour take on great significance. Throughout the history of a church, Satan, who we are told is the father of all lies, has tried to lead God's people into error and to evil, and it's no different today. Do you not see Satan at work undermining the truth that God created us male and female, that Christ is the only way to God the Father, that judgment and hell awaits for loss, that godly headship in marriage is God's good design? We are constantly being pressured to disregard God's word and embrace all sorts of errors. If you, like myself, have questions about issues like gender and hell and marriage and sexuality and so forth, then approach all such issues with a refrain, what says the scripture? Not what says the world or what says psychology or the latest Christian writer or preacher, but what says the scriptures? And when we see what the scripture says... We hold fast to that truth. We put on the belt of truth. Satan is also at work seeking to influence us into the way of evil. Very sadly, I've lost count of how many Christian leaders, friends and co-workers who have shipwrecked their ministries and their marriages at times on the rocks of greed, lust and power. The Christian is to put on the breastplate of righteousness that is, pursue holiness, never tolerate evil. So often the evil one plays the long game. He wants to influence you into evil slowly. Can I encourage you this day, don't sit in Satan's chapel and be entertained by the things God hates. Violence, adultery, greed, gossip, and the like. Wilbur Wilberforce He speaks in his time of the theatre, and he makes the astute observation, how can a Christian be entertained by evil? 
See, once you allow yourself to be entertained by evil, it's not a step too far to start desiring evil and then to indulging in evil. Evil rarely looks evil until it has accomplished its goal. We are to uphold holiness, that is, put on the breastplate of righteousness. In verse 15, we are told to have our feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The good news about Christ is many things, but above all, it's the gospel of peace, and praise God for this. Through the gospel, God is at peace with us. How amazing, how liberating, and indeed, how good. But also, through the gospel, we can be at peace with others. The peace that we experience in the presence of God truly is indescribable. And again, praise God for this. And the peace we experience with one another surely is our Christian joy. Paul is calling us to believe the gospel. That's what it means to have your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Believe the gospel that through Christ, God is not only at peace with you, but you can be at peace with others. Let me give you an example. When I was preparing this sermon, I was woken up at 1.30 in the morning, unable to get back to sleep. And this happened a number of nights in a row. So much so, I didn't start to fall back to sleep till really past five o'clock when very soon I had to get up again. By the third morning, I was so exhausted. I was in my office, working away, and I became irritable and impatient with my godly wife, Elizabeth. After which, I came to the Lord, yet again asking for forgiveness and seeking to turn my heart away from irritability and impatience. Then I went upstairs and I asked Elizabeth, Would you forgive me for my impatience? I'm so sorry. Which she freely did, as she always does. See, that's the power of the gospel. The evil one wears you down. He then tempts you to sin. And then you fall into that temptation as I did. But through Christ and his forgiveness, peace can prevail. Peace not only with God, but with one another. See, when we believe the gospel of peace, we're ready to act. Even those times when we fall into sin, the gospel enables us to act in such a way where we experience redemption, forgiveness, restoration. This is truly life. In verse 16, we are told to take up the shield of faith. Well, what a glorious gift faith really is. In fact, I don't know of a more precious gift in my life. We are told that the shield of faith extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let me explain this by way of illustration. There has never been anyone in the history of a world who faced a temptation quite like Moses, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses had before him the temptation of unlimited treasure, you know, all the treasure and the wealth of Pharaoh and Egypt. He had before him the temptation of every and any pleasure, anything he wanted. And he had before him the temptation of the glory and honour of the whole of Egypt. We don't know this, this for certain, but Moses may well have been in line to be a pharaoh. What did Moses do in the midst of all that temptation? Well, he turned from the treasure and the pleasure 
and the glory of Egypt and embraced ill-treatment and disgrace by being a part of the people of God. How did he do that? Well, according to Hebrews chapter 11, he did it by faith. Faith, according to Hebrews 11, is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. See, Moses had faith. He was sure that there was a far greater treasure to come and he was certain that the Lord was God and not Pharaoh. See, the certainty and the surety that faith brought him protected him from all the temptations of the evil one and enabled him to live in harmony with the true reality that there's a redemption to come that's far more valuable than, than this world and a God who reigns far above all others. My sisters and brothers, the certainty and surety of faith protects us from all manner of temptations. It extinguishes the darts of the enemy. Let me give you an example from my own life. At the moment, uh, we, we have only one uh, wage coming in um, as a family. And praise God, all is okay and indeed all is good. But what has happened is that Satan has tempted me not to give money to the work of God. But what has saved me from this temptation is faith. The certainty and surety that there is a coming redemption and that this is a far better investment than anything in this present world. Take up the shield of faith, God tells us, because the certainty of things unseen and the surety of things hoped for will extinguish Satan's darts. In verse 17, we're being called to take up the helmet of salvation. To do this, we must humble ourselves. That is, we must rest in the generous and faithful Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and not ourselves. We're not to rest in our efforts or our works or what we think we can do in our contribution to salvation. The person who takes up the helmet of salvation looks to God and God alone to save them from their sins. We are also called to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's interesting that the term here is sword of the Spirit, because it's the Spirit that gives God's Word its power. And we're being told to take it up daily. And surely God's Word is powerful. It is living. In fact, it's alive. And it's through God's Word that He works. His Word is a means through which He works in our lives. I could share so much here, but let me just give you one example. I was away recently, and one morning I woke up and a spiritual oppression suddenly came over me. I was overwhelmed with sorrow and sadness. In that time, I called out to the Lord and opened his word. And my devotional reading for that day was Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, which tells us that all things are in the counsel of God's will. The knowledge that all that I was presently experiencing were all in the counsel of God before time began, that lifted my spiritual oppression. And the reason being is I soon realized that everything in my life, everything in that moment, no matter what was before me or in front of me, is in the hands of the Lord. He has a plan from eternity's past, and I can trust him because his plan is good. When I saw that vision of God's wonderful sovereignty, his infinite goodness, his immeasurable love, his abounding grace, 
my spiritual oppression lifted as quick as it descended. See, that's the sort of a spirit at work. Just a small note here. Satan will do everything he can to prevent you from hearing God's word. He certainly will seek to tempt us not to be regular at church. But even if we do come to church and come regularly, while we're there, he'll tempt to distract us from his word. I know this, I experience this myself. And the way I sought to counter this is that I take notes. I have my iPad, I take notes from a sermon, and I highlight things that I feel the Holy Spirit is touching me and convicting me of. And then on Monday morning, uh, in my quiet time, I open up my iPad and I pray through those things that I've highlighted. And the reason why I do this is because I don't want to be somebody who simply hears the word and goes away and forgets about it. What use is that? I want to come under God's word and prayerfully meditate on that word that it will change my life. And that won't happen, for me at least, simply by listening and then going away and forgetting. I want to pray through that word. And that's the way I do it. There's many different ways to do it. Uh, We all learn differently. But that's what God has helped me to do as a way of his word entering into the depths of my life. Because my prayer is that I'll be the good soil who bears good fruit. In verse 18, we're told to pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and to always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Why are we to be persistent in prayer, praying continually on all occasions? Because while ever we live in this world and in these bodies of flesh, we live in a constant spiritual struggle. The struggle won't end until we die. And calling upon the Lord to strengthen us is the way in which we stand firm and deploy all the pieces of God's armour. It's not for nothing that out of all the armour mentioned, prayer is given the most attention. It is God's armour and it's through prayer that we appropriate it into our lives. Christ enables us to put it on. And so we need to call upon him in prayer. My sisters and brothers, I encourage you to continue to seek the Lord to lead you to deepen in your prayerfulness. Come to Christ, no matter what time, no matter what place, no matter what state you're in. Pour out your heart to him. He's a fountain of life and truth and salvation. He never turns anyone away who comes to him for help. He teaches us to be bold, to trust in the Father's generosity, to be persistent. And when Christ says, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, and knock and the door will be open, he means it. So we have the assurance that when we ask for anything according to God's will, he will answer. Is it God's will that we uphold truth and holiness? Is it God's will we believe in the gospel and are ready to take action? Is it God's will to take up the shield of faith? Is it God's will to take up the sword of the Spirit? Is it His will that we humble ourselves and rest in Him alone for salvation? Is it His will that the Spirit leads us in our praying? It most certainly is. So when we pray according to His will, He is promised to answer. What confidence we have to come to the throne of grace. Let me finish up with some final words. The person who puts on the full armour of God, that is the person who upholds truth and holiness, 
who believes in the gospel and rests in God to save him alone. The person who takes hold of God's word, who exercises their faith and who prays in the spirit. That person, we are told, will be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. That's the person who can stand firm in our struggle against the spiritual powers. That's the person who is able to stand firm in the midst of the deepest temptations, trials, assaults and attacks of the evil one. And take heart, our struggle is not forever. The day will come when sinners and sin and Satan is cast out of this world. The day will come where we no longer have to put on the armour of God. We will know truth in all its glory. We will be righteous in every way. We will experience the fullness of God's salvation. The certainty and the surety of things hopeful and to come will be fully realised. Can you imagine that? We will know the word of God because we'll see the word of God, the Lord Jesus himself. And we'll be able to commune with our God in the most glorious way. My sisters and brothers, hear the word of the Lord today. Yes, we are in a spiritual struggle, but we are strong in the might and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. In him we stand firm through his armour.